Let's work. What's your name? Melissa. And where are you from, Melissa? Austin, Texas. And what do you do for a living? If you say hair, I will piss myself right now. Wait, the Asian had to translate? Fuck you! The Asian thinks I'm Godzilla. She doesn't fucking know. Bianca's coming to town. No girl, no girl. Back to you, bitch. What do you do for a living? You're a real estate agent. Okay, so you acquired a lot of property. Okay, we're gonna work this out. Michelle? Susie? Melissa. Melissa. It girl, like it fucking matters, goddammit. That's comic Bianca Del Rio doing crowd work in her Vimeo stand-up special, Rolodex of Hate. She's profane and insulting, and she hates everybody. That's her bit. Del Rio won season six of RuPaul's Drag Race and has not stopped working since. Touring, acting, performing, and returning last week for an appearance on the current season of RuPaul's Drag Race. In her new book, Blame It on Bianca Del Rio, the expert on nothing with an opinion on everything, which is out May 22nd on Day Street Books and Harper Audio, Del Rio has some advice to dispense. On today's show, actor and stand-up comic Roy Haylock, the man behind the beehive wig, sits down with me to talk about the world of a top-tier drag queen. Well, let me ask you first, um, this came as an advice book rather than a, a, a memoir or some other uh, format, and I wanted to start uh, with maybe reading uh, one of the advice questions you got and, and reading your answer that I thought was pretty representative of the book and maybe talk about it uh, from, from that standpoint. Um, the person who wrote in says, Dear Bianca, I'm happily married to my husband, Jack, for 22 years, but he has one habit that drives me crazy. Whenever we're out at a restaurant or theater, he refers to the female staff members, waitresses, ushers, managers, etc., as honey or sweetheart or babe. I find it sexist and creepy and embarrassing. I've told him it bothers me, but he says they like it. It makes them feel appreciated. How do I get him to listen to me and stop doing it? And she signs it Adele from Tom's River, New Jersey. Your answer very simply was, Dear Adele, this is easy. When you go out, start calling all of the male staff members, waiters, valets, bellmen, handsome, hotcakes, or horsecock. I'm pretty sure Jack will get the message. Yes. Is is the is this common sense advice? Is that where you're coming from for the most part? Well, I think yes and no. I mean, first of all, it's done in a comedic way. I mean, the book is obviously not to be taken seriously or for the lighthearted. But I do find it's quite fascinating the world we live in nowadays. Um, it's been interesting when I first ventured into this and said, let's deal with questions. People live their lives a little too much on social media. And it was quite interesting, the questions that they would send. And I thought some of them were really ridiculous questions, and they deserved a ridiculous answer. Not to mention, if you're a, uh, anyone in the world who's looking for advice from a 42-year-old drag queen, obviously the problem lies with you. But I just thought, respond in a way that would make it fun. And also, how ridiculous is this? I mean, what are you concerned about your husband calling somebody sweetie, honey? That's insane. Uh, I'm not Miss Manners by any means. And I think the biggest joke is me, myself. So I just thought, let me answer it in the most ridiculous way possible. But I think it's, uh, it is interesting what people sent in. I mean, a lot of questions we had were pretty repetitive. But some of them were true gems, like that one, that I just thought, oh, concern yourself with something a little more serious than that. 
Well, I, th- I think it may sell the book a little bit short to say it's not intended to be taken seriously. I mean, I, I would say that's probably good advice that you gave well, that writer. Well, I mean, I mean, in a way where it's like, I, by no means, like you were saying, a memoir. Or not, I didn't want to write something completely serious and no one cares to hear my story. And I, I definitely didn't want to be egotistical and assume that someone wanted to hear my story. But I thought common sense advice. I mean, that's usually how I work in my, my stage shows. But um, I do find it funny that someone would write in and ask such a question. I just thought that's pretty amusing to me. How did you get to a point where you were getting a lot of questions like this? Was that something that started organically or were, were you? Uh, there's social media, obviously. There's, there's tons of questions. And, you know, with Drag Race, with RuPaul's Drag Race in particular, when I was on the show, you had lots of questions, everything from what you were wearing to where can I get this. And, and those questions were kind of innocent and nice. And so when I got to doing a book, as I said, I didn't want to do a memoir or autobiography or anything like that. So I thought, let me go into the world of, of answering some of these questions. And when I opened the floodgates to say, hello, I'm working on a project. If you had any questions, send them through by email or through Facebook or Twitter. And then the floodgates were opened. I mean, there was quite a few things that came our way. And some of them were absolutely hysterical, which are in the book. And then some of them were just a bit much that I'm like, okay, well, this doesn't work. Or completely repetitive, which happens a lot. Uh, The book is called Blame It on Bianca Del Rio. And the title page has your name credited as Bianca Del Rio. And you do a lot of interviews and appearances as Bianca. I think when I talked to you a couple of years ago for Decider, it was completely in character. I don't I don't think we I don't I don't think we ever broke the facade that that you were a, you know, a, a, a sassy woman named Bianca Del Rio. Does that get confusing ever? I mean, do you have listings in certain, you know, where your name or email or that sort of thing is is, as Bianca and and others as Roy? Uh, No, it doesn't get confusing for me because I'm basically the same person without a doubt. And I I don't think of it as uh, I'm I'm a character. It's definitely an extension of myself. But truly, Bianca is the thing that put me on the map. So, I mean, I don't live my daily life (laughs) and expect to be called Bianca. But I know when it comes to business, it is what it is. And I think that for this book in particular, if I would have chosen to write it as myself, the, the uh, as my, well, present it as myself, I should say, uh, I don't necessarily think it would fly as it does when I'm Bianca, because basically you're judged by what you put out there. And what I put out there is I'm a 42-year-old drag queen who wears a wig and who's hateful and, and witty, and that's just it. So I think that's just the packaging that I use for what I'm doing. So I don't think of it as literal as um, my friends don't call me Bianca, but I don't think of it as literal as I am now this person and I'm not that person. I definitely don't have an identity crisis. <laughs> if anything, if anything, I steer clear of Bianca until I have to work. So it, it's, it's not that bad, and it's not that confusing for me, so to speak. Are there personality differences or speech quirks that you have to hard oh God, no. that you have no, to hard have friends, flip? No, I have friends that are like that. Uh, for me, it's strictly you know the monkey suit, wearing a wig, wearing makeup. Obviously, that's the extent of it. But I have friends that put on a drag character, so to speak, and they do a different voice and they they act differently. And that is uh, that is definitely not how I operate. I think that's what I think maybe the the charm of what I do is that it's. Uh, it is the packaging of a woman, but I'm probably as blunt and as hateful as any old man you know. So I think maybe that's that's what that's usually my selling point. I would say. One thing that I see a lot watching um, the show, I, I wouldn't say I'm a huge social media person and not a Facebook person at all, but I, I, I'm I'm pretty heavy on Twitter and I watch Instagram. And Drag Race seems like a very 
social oriented show or social media oriented show, both from the the people who are on the show and and the, the people watching the show. Is that something evolutionary? I mean, is that something that that came from the fact that you're used to communicating? that way with each other and to promote your appearances and that it just grew into that for the show? Well, I think it's, well, I mean, obviously I did, I didn't have Twitter or Instagram prior to drag race because I'm of a certain age where I lived without social media. So it wasn't a part of my everyday life. I had my Facebook and when you film the show, you have about eight or nine months until it actually airs on television. So within that time, I was advised, you know, look, this when this hits, everybody's going to want to know who you are, what's going on in the world. So I went to a social media expert slash friend who said, hey, you've got to get your ducks in a row because this is going to be cross, you know, uh, cross media attention, you know, as far as finding out who you are and what you're about. And so from then I created my Instagram and my Twitter, and then it just grew from there. And now it's really my number one source of publicity whenever it comes to a show that I'm producing or a, a book that I'm putting out. Uh, and it, I think it's an easy, unexpected, uh, unexpected two or three little punch this, punch that, and then it goes out to the world. I mean, I've been fortunate enough to get to travel with my stage show. I'm on my, on my third tour. And I mean, for everywhere from Hong Kong to Singapore to Australia to the U.K., um, it's just been surreal. Uh, so that's been my number one media source for myself. So it's great for self-promotion without having to go through, you know, uh, news outlets or interviews. And it's usually the first thing people check is to find out what's going on in your world, whether it's good or bad. Uh, they check your site on a daily basis. And I think that the young people do it a lot more than I do, but I think that they're, it's just kind of become the new norm and it's, it's grown quite a bit, which is quite shocking to me. I'm shocked that that many people are interested in what I'm doing. You did an episode uh, this season that aired uh, a couple of weeks ago. W- what do you see on social media when, when that airs? Do you just see this huge bump of, of, of your name or, or what does that look like um, to you? Well, yes and no. I mean, the show has been on now for 10 seasons and I was from season six. And so there's been you know four and a half, five years that, that I've been on. Uh, and, and any other time I was asked to be on the show, I was never available because of the schedule, cause, which is pretty intense when you're here. But I, um, I, I was looking forward to going back. You know, here's one of those things where I think the diehard fans of the show keep up with every season and they want to know what's going on. And, you know, it's been asked a couple of times, why haven't you been back when other contestants have been? And it was just more about scheduling. So I was glad to finally to get to do it. And it was nice to be on the other side of the fence because uh, I remember my nerves were a little different when I was a contestant. So this was a lot of fun to actually go back. It was like high school slash family reunion to get to see uh, the staff. And um, it was great to, to hear the response. Um, but, you know, with, with all of it, you know, comes good and bad. You know, you have those people that are appreciative and love it and the people that hate you. But that's just social media. I started to ask what your life was like in the year before you taped the show. But it sounds like the better question would be what was your life like in the period between when you actually taped the show and when it aired? Well, that was just prep time. I mean, you know, it's a, it's a blur to go in and do the show because most people think it happens on a weekly basis. Literally, you're doing it day to day to day to day. So it's a little more intense. I mean, of course, when it airs, it's spaced out by weeks, uh, which makes experience seem much longer. But it does happen rather quickly because it's television. You know, you have to hurry up and make it happen and get out of there. And then uh, within those months, it was just basically planning, planning everything for merchandise or my next step, what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to go into stand-up which, uh, well, I had always been doing stand-up, but actually to create a show that I would travel with. Um, and a lot of other the Drag Race alumni do things like music videos or sing, and that was definitely not where I wanted to be. 
So I was just plotting and planning that and preparing for a life of travel because the, the travel is pretty insane after that. Uh, and I'm one of those people who say yes to every gig there is. So I've kind of been around the world more than enough times <laughs> and, and still trucking four and a half years later. So that prepping then I think really was a great base for me to start this journey that I've been on for the past few years. You won the season that you were on. Did you know when you taped it that you had won, or is it the kind of thing where they tape alternate endings so that you don't actually know? Well, for two reasons. I mean, a majority of the show uh, is competition. I mean, you know the facts. You know which which challenges you win and how far you got in filming. But they did film multiple endings. And the key thing to the show also is – you have these things called confessionals, you know, and, and it's you at the end of the day discussing your good and bad moments of the day. And in that moment, I had no idea what other people were saying or what other people's story was or what their journey was or what the audience was going to gravitate to. So I definitely did not know I was going to win at all uh, throughout all of it because it's really kind of a blur. You know, you're unaware of what's happening in other people's worlds or what they're telling or what's good television or, you know, so it comes down to, to the editing later. Uh, which, of course, then is their narrative. It's the story they want to tell. So when people say to me, oh, I knew from the first episode you were going to win, well, of course, because you're watching (laughs) their narrative of what's to come, Uh, whereas when I was in it, I had no idea. Did you think your edit was pretty representative, or did you see a lot of things when you were like, well, that's not exactly what happened? Um, Once again, like I said, I think it was a blur, but no, I didn't have a problem with it. I also knew that anything I did, if I cried, they were going to use it. If I screamed at someone, they were going to use it. If I lost my mind, it was going to be used. So I didn't, I I thought before I acted, which I think a lot of people don't. Uh, So I was aware and I took full responsibility for everything I did, but I wasn't upset with it in the least, you know, Um, which was interesting. You know, I I only saw, I've only seen the show when it aired the first time. I haven't gone back and rewatched again. I'm too nervous, (laughs) but but in the end, I won, so who cares? Eddie Izzard's Dress to Kill is probably my all-time favorite uh, stand-up. He approaches, I'm not even sure he would call it drag, he approaches dressing as a woman on stage differently yeah. than you do. Have you ever met him or talked to him about not. performing? I have not met him. No, I have not met him, and I'm a huge fan of his. I do adore him. I mean, there's several, you know, I mean, obviously drag and comedy go hand-in-hand, hand, and there's quite a few uh, performers, you know, of course, Dave Medina is another favorite of mine. And, you know, when you go way back, Milton Berle, Flip Wilson, I mean, a lot of people to drag and it's interesting. Rudolph Giuliani. Uh, my, yeah. Oh God, that one. He's a joke. <laughs> believe me. Uh, but what's fascinating about it is the majority of the men and uh, are, are straight, identify as straight men. I mean, Dave Medina is married for his third wife and has kids. So it's very interesting. I think that the dynamic is a little different because I'm a, I'm a gay man in a wig, but, um, I think that the topics are probably a little different as well. And for me, it's, it's, it's not a, a life choice. For me, it's a character. You know, I, I mean, a character as far as this is what I do. This is my uniform to go to work. Um, I don't think of it as, um, as something serious or, or a sexual preference or any of that kind of madness, which I think is probably why a majority of the straight people that come to my show enjoy it, because it's not as off-putting as they think it is. One of the things I think that Drag Race has made an interesting choice in, in what is shown and not shown, if you compare to something like uh, Top Chef, is that you don't see the contestants at at home or at the dorms or the hotel or wherever they have you put up. What is that part of, of your life during the season like? Well, I think it's, I think it's, 
smart. First of all, it's expensive to do that, number one. <laughs> um, and I think that uh, the advantage for that is, I mean, we don't get to hang out with one another. We don't speak to one another. We're not allowed to talk unless we're on camera, which is genius. People think, oh, that must be gruesome. I go, no, it makes a lot of sense because if you and I are in a scene one day in a fight, and then that afternoon after filming, we repair it, and we're good, and the next day we go back and we're all hunky-dory, the audience has no idea what happened. Oh, that's um, very so. interesting. So are you in a hotel while you're filming? Yeah. Where? Yeah, we're all separated. Mm-hmm. That's very interesting. And did, huh? I guess that makes a lot of sense. So that you you makes keep you keep sense. everything in the bottle for for the next time the cameras are on or television. Yeah, and it makes total sense. And I and I think anyone who's complained about it that's been on the show usually lost. But I think in the end, it's a great strategy because, I mean, when you think about it, you really can't go back and retell something if the, if the audience didn't see it. Because what becomes their truth is what they see on TV. So it is what it is. I think for a while, over the last several seasons, it seemed like the show was adapting to itself. You started seeing... Um, um, people getting on the show who had seen the show and you started seeing people learn, uh, uh, you know, how to, how to sort of work their own edit. I haven't noticed that as much in the last couple of seasons. Would you say you've noticed it differently the last few years or, or is the skill set changing or are they emphasizing it less or? Well, t- well, one thing you're probably going to die is that I haven't watched every season, uh, <laughs> which is horrible. Uh, no, because, of course, they've made it kind of more difficult to find the show now because it originally was on Logo and now it's on VH1, which are two channels that aren't always on in the hotels that I'm in when I'm traveling. So, and as far as online, it's too much work to search. And now my time off, the last thing I want to watch is Drag Queens. But uh, in fairness, you don't even have to watch the show anymore. All you have to do is open up Facebook and everybody's got an opinion or a review. But I think, um, I think that, you know, here it is with 10 seasons, and, and like most shows, it's like, like an American Idol or, or a voice, that people have grown up with the show, and their goal is not necessarily to be a fabulous drag queen, but their new goal is to be on the show because they think that's the point of success, which comes with, you know, great excitement, and it also kind of ruins the show in many levels because the people are not necessarily skilled. They don't have the life experiences. They don't have the interesting stories once they get there. Um, but on the other side of it, it's great to have fresh blood. It's great to have new looks. It's great to have queens that are, you know, performing and thin and fabulous and look great in photos. So I think it, um, I think like with most shows, you know, it kind of goes through that moment. Um, so I always appreciate it when there's someone older or there's someone with a different point of view because it makes for good television. But, um, that also comes in with the, you know, that's, that's part of the casting and, you know, it's their show. They'll choose what they like, but it is fascinating to see the younger people that are now, drag queens. I mean, you can't even walk outside without a drag queen falling out of a tree. They're everywhere. I think the show's been really skillful in how it employs backstory. Uh, It it is mostly a, I wouldn't say catty, but mostly a highly competitive competition show with with very sparing glimpses into difficulties in people's lives. And I think the, the restraint that the the show has shown has really made those more powerful. What did you see in your season with, with the edit versus the discussion in the room and, and, and really being able to, to maximize the, the impact of those, of those small moments? 
Well, I thought it was. I thought it was true to form. I thought it was real. I thought it was genuine. I mean, we had a great particular season. Our, our cast was pretty amazing, and we were all very diverse. And I, I, I personally made it a choice where you know I didn't make anything about my life to become the focal point. I, I, sympathy is not part of my drag aesthetic. So many people had said that I was, it was cold uh, and didn't bother. But for me, I find no one cares. No one wants to hear that shit. For me, it's do the job and get it done. But I didn't know also if that would translate to people. So you never really know what's going on. But I felt that the stories that everyone else shared, whether it be you know, extremely personal or funny, catty moments, um, I think they were true to the situation at the time. Uh, you know, you have to remember it's, it's, a, it's a chunk of time, and it happens, as I said, so quickly. And you don't know these people, but then after two days you feel like you're best friends with them or you despise them terribly. I definitely think all of that showed in the show. You know, I mean, once it airs, we're all fine now. and We've all gotten over ourselves. But in the moment, uh, it's just this huge pressure cooker. So I think it definitely tests people. And it's fascinating to see people that, you know, rise above it and the people that break down. But I thought it was true to form when we were there. I can't say much about the, the past few seasons because, as I said, I haven't watched extensively. But um, I found it to be true when I was there completely. Well, I could have seen with your persona going into the show being worried about a very rough villain edit because you're you're you have a a very a sort of no holds barred um almost shockingly ab- abrasive uh, uh persona particularly um um in, in your stand-up, but you see it in the in the show also. Were you worried going in about uh, you were just going to be an, an unredeeming villain coming out of it? Uh, well, <laughs> well, uh, when you put it that way, um, uh, worried? No, <laughs> you didn't uh, come I, off. I, I you did not was... come off that way. No, no. I mean, it's the risk you take. You know, it's the risk you take, and and that's the thing. I mean, someone has to win, someone has to lose. Someone's going to look good, someone's going to look bad. But I felt that. You know, if you stay true to what you know, I mean, I, to, to put on an act and pretend like, you know, nothing nothing mattered would be a different ball of wax. I think I was in it. My goal was to do the competition itself and all the other bullshit I'd throw out the window. But I also treated it like I would normally treat my friends or how I would, the conversations I would have um, or shut someone down. That's just my world. <laughs> and truly, after a couple of days, you do forget the cameras are there because, as I said, the challenges become a little overwhelming and you do you do start just thinking about what's in front of you and you're not realizing the bigger picture. And then by the time it airs, you're like, oh my God, I forgot that. Or I forgot about that part. Um, so it's, it's definitely a whirlwind when you're there. But I, I don't think I was worried, but I wasn't overly confident in assuming I was going to win. I didn't think that either. So it was kind of middle ground, kind of middle ground. I thought the smart people will get it. <laughs> and if others don't, oh well, it's the, it's the risk I took. I don't know how applicable this is to drag in general, but uh, at least of of the people who have been on the show, I see a very similar parallel and skill set between them and, say, people who have come up as YouTube personalities and people who've come up through uh, UCB and, and Groundlings and other improv theater that you're developing a a very wide skill set from the very beginning where sometimes you're the actor and sometimes you're the director and sometimes you're the cameraman and sometimes you're the set decorator and you're always uh, uh, developing different parts uh, of those skills. Do you see those similarities in those other areas or do you think it's a, a there are some particular differences with drag? 
Um, I say, well, I think drag's a little more intense uh, than than if you were or an improv actor. I think it all becomes part of it because, as you were saying, you do. It's a little more ground you have to cover. And I find for myself, I mean, I do hair. I've done hair for opera, theater, and wigs and makeup and all that kind of stuff, which was always a part of my life, which kind of made me perfect for the drag world because you can kind of be self-contained and i think the more you can do for yourself the better it is i know queens that someone does their hair someone does their makeup someone makes their clothes whereas i'm a little more compact and i do all of that myself so i think your skill set does have to grow because you find out later you don't have the time energy or money to deal with other people um so i think that drag queens in general Obviously, when you go into this world, you have to have a love for makeup and hair, whereas if you're a comedian, you can wear jeans and a shirt and go on stage. With me, it's a little more packaging involved, uh, and most drag queens as well. So I think that it's uh, probably a little more intense, and I think for me in general, my skill set as far as comedy was concerned, it was through bad situations in, in gay clubs over the years that kind of turned into my style. You know, as you hear with most people or singers or actors, that they're like, you know, they were waitresses and they did this and, and struggled and all of that. I think all of that, I didn't look at it as a struggle. I looked at it as part of my journey to be who I was. I mean, when you're in the bar in a wig at five in the afternoon, definitely doing bingo is definitely not the choice I would have had for my life. But I have no regrets from that because it's changed my life as it was. So there really wasn't, uh, in my journey of drag, to say this is the ultimate moment to be on television. No, I've just been a yes person throughout the years that kind of brought me to this point and my skill set. So, um, you know, now, now that you have Drag Race, it's kind of like the Drag Olympics. So I think you're tested a little more, but I do find those years of doing all different types of skills definitely do pay off as a drag queen completely. You uh, were in a film in 2016 called Hurricane Bianca that you made with uh, Matt Kugelman. Is that something you want to do again? Was that a a, a particular skill set that you you felt like you wanted to go back to? Sure. We just filmed the sequel, which comes out on the 22nd of May, and we're quite excited about that. We have a premiere in... Los Angeles on the 13th. We have one in San Francisco on the 14th and one on the 15th. And all of that information, also select cities that it'll be showing in, is on the website hurricanebianca.com. I spent all and this time reading. I spent all this time reading the book and didn't even look up to see uh, what uh, what there. other stuff you were doing right now. No, no, it all worked out well. Uh, uh, we're we're quite excited about it. And of course, you know, with 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 the first film, you know, you get through it and you go, okay, well, I would do this, I would do that. And we were very lucky to get to create a second one, and with the original cast, which we were very blessed to have Rachel Dratch the first time and to get her again was absolutely amazing. So we were able to film that last October and it, it comes out, as I said, uh, next week. So I, I'm open to any of that. I mean, I think that Drag Race has given me a huge platform slash golden ticket. So I, um, I, I embrace all opportunities that come my way. If someone says, hey, do you want to be a monkey? Sign me up. I'll be a monkey. You know, <laughs> it's what it is. Um, I have I have no complaints. I mean, through this, I've been able to write the book and create a sequel to the movie and travel the world with my show, which I'll be continuing this fall in the UK and South Africa and Brazil. So it's it's all been really great. I'm a little surprised that Drag Race hasn't colonized itself across VH1 the way Housewives have on Bravo. I, I keep hoping that there's going to be a know someone hosting a, a weekly talk show or uh, well i think gay gay and drag is scary for people and and despite that which i find fascinating because, the show's you know, popular you though the, i i don't i don't i yeah, think but, saying it's not popular enough to support those things i think is selling it short 
Well, I agree, but I also think that it's not so much an audience. I mean, obviously, Drag Race is bigger now than ever, and Drag Race has moved to VH1 because of its fame, but granted, it's the 10th season. So what's interesting is that despite the fact that there are so many gays in show business, so to speak, they're not willing to celebrate it on camera. And it's, it's, it's interesting, especially drag. It's, in particular, it's quite interesting how people don't think especially executives or where they have to spend money, they don't think it's going to work. Where I can prove differently, I mean, I get to travel and work in theaters that are 2,800 seats and you sell out for multiple nights. And, you know, who's looking at that? None of those executives. But there's money to be made. And I think that's one of the reasons why I travel is mainly because of the fact that that's where it's at. I mean, that's obviously what I enjoy doing. But also, I don't have to deal with other people. I don't have to deal with, <laughs> with people telling me, no, you can't say that or no, you can't do this. And I think they're just afraid of it. And I think they're really late to the game and they're missing out because there is an audience for it. I mean, a majority of the people that come to see my stage show are straight people. So it is quite fascinating how Drag Race has, drag race has reached the audience, but executives and people in charge don't see it that way. It's too risky. What kind of conversations have you had about doing uh, a stand-up special for a, a a more mainstream stand-up special platform like HBO, Showtime, or Netflix? Well, there's always there's always a talk of it, and I've recorded some, and then some I've put on Vimeo, and some that I've sold. But you know, you just never know what they want. And once again, it's 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 more or less about censoring, and I, I refuse to be censored, and I refuse to be told what I can and can't do. So if it was to work out, it would work out, but I don't necessarily know that to be the case. I think it's still too risky for these people. They'd rather take a they'd rather take a chance at some second-rate comedian than than me, which is fine. Uh, that's just the business side of it. But as long as I still get to continue to do it live, I I don't care. So is I mean, that, I'm not is opposed that, to it. But. Is that more often the case that you tape a special with a production company, not necessarily knowing? where it's going to be sold at the time you tape it? Well, I don't know what the routine is for other people, but I've chosen to do that basically to document it and also to have it, you know, because you never know. Uh, for me in general, and it's just worked out well. I mean, and depending on where I was, I mean, I filmed the last two. I haven't filmed this last, the current one I'm on yet, but I probably will do it in the UK this later this year. But I just do that kind of for myself because you never know. Well, I appreciate you talking to me. Uh, the book is interesting. I think it's pretty good advice. Uh, Interesting's a good word. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> the photography is great. Uh, that was one other thing I, I wanted to ask you about. Did did you do most of this photography specifically for uh, the book, or were these? Yeah. A, a, tell me, yeah, tell me about putting that together. That, that that's some very interesting stuff in here. Yeah, well, majority of it was uh, because, obviously, as I was saying, we, we, we live in a world of social media where I didn't have much footage of myself that had not been released already, and I didn't want to do a rehash of a lot of old photos. Some of them are, some of them are a select few, maybe less than 10 are, are original photos, but the rest were created, I mean, less than 10 were existing photos, and then all of the other content was created for the book. It was challenging, but it was a lot of fun, you know? And look at this ridiculous situations I'm in. Why not? <laughs> Well, I really appreciate you talking to me, and uh, you. good luck on the book and the movie and the comedy tour and whatever whatever else you've got uh, coming up next. It sounds like you're— There'll uh, be more, I tell you. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Uh-huh. Thanks. Thanks.